Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Solison. With me, as always, is my very, very talented friend who is always a treat and sometimes a trick, the mixtress DCG, not. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely the trick part, for sure. Uh, I mean. Well, you got to keep us guessing. Yeah, I feel like I'm pulling off like a magic trick today, right? <laughs> kind of like getting, getting in there. Absolutely. Squeezing it all in. Jumping into today is the day. Like, I'm like, okay, we can do it. Yep. All right. So tis the season, right? It's Halloween. Halloween is upon us. Um, so um, I want to talk candy. And specifically, I want to talk candy corn. Believe it or not, surveys, yes, they survey this stuff. Surveys say candy corn is the least favorite Halloween candy. I want to know who these haters are. I see your face. I happen to think I love candy corn. It's one of my favorite seasonal candies. And yes, I have seasonal candies. You don't agree, Gina? <laughs> no, I hate candy corn. It's so disgusting. No, no. My kids and my husband like love it. They'll eat it. Actually, my girls eat the chocolate part of it and then throw the rest of it See, out. See, I don't like the chocolate ones. I like the traditional ones. And I'm the same way. I eat it in three segments. I only use, eat like two because there's so much sugar. But I eat them in three, like each little color segment one at a time. Um, and yeah. it can't be the cheap stuff. It cannot be the cheap stuff. The stuff that's just like some indistinguishable like sugar flavor something or another. And if you get them too late, they get kind of stale and gross. Um, but if you get the right ones that are, uh, when you throw in the word fresh there, <laughs> um, it's kind of a little bit of a sugarly, sugary delight, something like that. 100%. I didn't even know that there was, there was quality candy corn out there. <laughs> they're all like, they're all like 99 cents. And I'm like, I'm like, this candy sucks. No. And, and I've always thought it's cool that I, I'm not going to lie. Aesthetically, it's kind of perfect. Yes. Because it really could it really could bring you right through that fall season. Yep. Like if you're just like worried about what something looks like in a bowl. Yes. But like even in a pinch, I'm not eating the candy corn. Even if I'm like, I just need some sugar. I'm like, never like, oh, let me have that candy corn. <laughs> I'd rather dust it off next year and be like, here's my candy corn. <laughs> Just be stuck all together and be like it goes back into the same bowl. You can't put it in another bowl. <laughs> I know, hundred percent. Like this is my candy corn creation. Boom, put it in my back candy in. corn lump. Uh. <laughs> yeah, here's my here's my lump of sugar that I, I. But it looks cool, right? The colors are good. I just envision myself as an old lady, Louise, with some yes. like discolored candy corn thing that I won't throw out. Like my mother had all these things she wouldn't throw out it's later just, in life, and you can't wash it. It's just full of dust and dirt. <laughs> Hundred percent. I try to watch it. Okay, sorry. Definitely um, not just completely thinking about it. So let's go back. Let's get back on on, on track here. So speaking of Halloween, um, you know I do enjoy an evening of trick or treating. <laughs> okay, maybe I did. I don't anymore. Don't tell anybody. Maybe I do. But um, the days that follow Halloween are actually again one of my favorites, um, and it's the Day of the Dead. Um, and it's, I think it's a holiday that so many people don't quite understand. Um, so to help demystify this holiday that seems to be wrapped in mystery, uh, please welcome a curator from the Division of Home and Community Life at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History, Margaret Salazar Porzio, 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 Porzio. Help me. <laughs> Salazar Porzio, you got it. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Um, and we're we're gonna Margie is what we decided. Mags, Maggie, all of those 
things. So <laughs> yeah. as we start drinking, you're, you know, we start in the beginning, you're Margaret, and as we keep drinking, you just become mags at the end. <laughs> sure, I know. It's like one syllable. Yeah. My, my my name is like the longest, Margaret Salazar Porzio. Yeah. So we could end with mags, and that would be totally fine. <laughs> I always assume if somebody gets my name wrong, I've been called worse, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> my grandma used to say, just don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. So we're here to talk about all things Day of the Dead, of course. Um, but if, you know, people know so little about it. They, you know, they know the sugar skulls or maybe the skeletons, but they don't know the history, that rich cultural traditions and, and rituals. They don't know anything about it. They're basically a loss, um, which is probably true to most holidays. Um, but if our listeners learn nothing more from this episode, other than that I love candy corn and Gina thinks it's gross, uh, <laughs> what's the one thing that you would want someone to know about the Day of the Dead? Well, first of all, Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead, is not Halloween. Done. Episode. If you, got, if you miss anything else, it is not Halloween, <laughs> folks. It is not Halloween. You've heard it from the experts. Um, <laughs> but since this, is, this, this episode's all about history, can we first start off with yours? Can we take a step back and find out a little bit more about you and find about your, about your rich family culture and history? Sure. Thank you so much, Louise. Gina, it's really nice to be here. Um, so I uh, grew up in Southern California. I am um, Chicana Latina, but um, I'm also, I have Japanese heritage. So um, I come from a, a, a mixed background that is kind of reflective of Southern California. Um, yeah. Grew up in East L.A. You're like and... an OG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. East um... L.A. OG. Cue <laughs> <laughs> <You> Snoop Dogg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it definitely grew up with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. Um, don't tell anybody <laughs> about the East West. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, and Tupac, of course. You have to yeah. go back to OG Tupac, yeah. yeah. Um, but grew up in L.A., born and raised, um, went to school there, did my um, bachelor's and credentials to teach at Cal State L.A., and then my wow. Ph.D. at USC. Uh, you know, so you're an underachiever, you say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lazy, lazy. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, I, I got my credentials because I thought I was going to be a teacher. I, I, you know, uh, teaching is, is something that's really close to my heart. Education is, is really important. Obviously, a lot of people feel that way. And uh, I don't. No, no. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, you know, worked in LAUSD for a little bit and taught. And, uh, and then I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to school. One of my professors was really integral to that. They, they said, hey, um, you know, have you thought about grad school? You'd be really good for it. And I was like, That's well, great. I have to... I have to like save money for this, you know, and I'm going to work for some years and save money. And, and he was like, well, did you know that you can get like a, a fellowship? Like if you, if you go and you apply and, and they accept you that there are many schools that will give you funding. And wow. that was like a game changer. It like blew my mind. I was like, oh, well then in that case. <laughs> That's great. I think it's really important when people share that that part of themselves, or just like that advice, like it, that you needed to hear at that point of something you didn't know. And that wonderful person told you that. I think that that's a great lesson for all of us, that if you have something to share, share it. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Patrick Sharp, uh, still at Cal State LA, he's the one who told me that. And uh, yeah, I, I took it to heart. I applied and I got into graduate school and I, I didn't think I was going to get in. And I got into USC, which was my first wow. pick. And I got to- school. 
Yeah, it's great. It's an awesome school. And I um, did my PhD in American Studies and Ethnicity. And uh, yeah, qualified in, uh, well, you have to qualify in order to get your PhD for a couple of fields in yeah. an interdisciplinary field like that. And so I uh, qualified in um, U.S.-Mexico borderlands history and studies. Wow. And I guess that's what qualifies me today to talk about Dia de los Muertos. Yes. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a lot. Let's <laughs> be honest, a lot. <laughs> so you, you kind of brush on that you have... You're what we would call in Hawaii, hapa, which is half, half. Um, so Japanese, Mexican, huh? Yeah. So my mom's side is is Japanese, and um, you know we also are. Uh, my gram, my grandma on my mom's side is from New Mexico, and uh, you know so we have we have some you know Latino heritage there too. Um, but then on my dad's side, uh, Mexican, and then you know I did the twenty three and me like that yeah. like genetic, genetics thing, and I am this like crazy rainbow array of stuff wow. um, and you know Japanese is a big part and, and Mexican and indigenous and but then I also found out I'm like you know Eastern European and I have like all these other things that I, I had not expected <laughs> meanwhile like my husband is like all Italian and his you know is like one color I'm like yours is boring that's <laughs> <laughs> mine yeah mine is uh mine I'm 52 percent Mexican really when they awesome. did with mine and then my mom's side who had blonde hair and blue eyes it was a, an array of like uh, of European blood, but on my on my father's, I mean, I was really surprised. It was at fifty two percent, and it like went right into where my father was born, the the town, this little town outside of Guadalajara. That's, That's amazing. Yeah, I was surprised. <laughs> I thought it would be more about my mom, just assuming that there were more more documentation, more people, a larger population right. doing the doing twenty three of me. Um, but yeah, narrowed down to my dad. So. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah. It's amazing how they can do that. Yeah. And then Gina's mostly Italian. She's just Italian dipped inside of it's Italian. It's like 100%. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and it's like 1% like um, Sicilian or something, something crazy. Oh, my god. Some gosh. other island. It, yeah. yeah, it's it's nuts. That's it. Well, you'd get along with my, my partner. Yeah. <laughs> or would they? You know, yeah. <laughs> or maybe. They'd have some heated discussions, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's yelling and screaming. You're like, why are you mad? We're not. <laughs> I didn't tell. What are you talking about? I'm mad. My normal face. I normally act like this. Psychotic. But I know everyone says that I have ragu running through my veins. So there you go. I love it. <laughs> I am like super into this, though. I want to know. I personally, now I'm going to ask you a question. You can tell me to F off. <laughs> but my kids have Encanto on repeat. So I feel like there's some truth to the Day of the Dead with that, right? Well, I mean, Encanto is, is not necessarily, it's not like Mexican. Um, and usually people think of Dia de, los, Dia de los Muertos or Day of the Dead as like a, a Mexican or Northern Central American, um, uh, you know, uh, holiday or, or tradition. Um, but, you know, I think the colors and the, um, you know, all the, the way that they kind of think about, um, you know, the holistic approach to, to um, community, I think, is, is really also part of, of Day of the Dead and thinking about, like, the celebration of life and the people who have come before you and, and, and all of that. So I, I, see the, I see the connections for sure. So that's one I haven't seen, but I think Coco did a really good job. I thought that took a very complicated holiday and made it, I mean, one it was, I thought was very lovely and well done. Oh, Coco, that's it, not Encanto. <laughs> they're the same, <laughs> sorry, Encanto, you know what I just said that? Because they're playing it in the school. 
Coco, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one with the pictures. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, my kids are six and seven, and I don't really <laughs> sleep that much. So I apologize. I am not trying to be, like, culturally inappropriate whatsoever. <laughs> it's, 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 it's okay. Swear to God, I'm it's not. Just, it's called it's, motherhood. It's, <laughs> I know. I'm like, literally, I need more sleep in my life. I, I literally apologize. It's a, it's a businesswoman who's opening her fourth location and have two small kids and a farm and a podcast, and uh, yeah. Oh, you're just doing a few things. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's one of the things about um, being Latino, Latina, is that, you know, we're not all alike, and there's a lot of different cultural heritages and traditions, and, and you know, it's, it's something that um, I'm really proud of uh, in this case, saying, hey, there are different kinds of traditions, and yeah. Coco is one of them, right? Coco yeah. reflects one of them, and Canto is a different. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, I just think it's great that the stories are being told. Absolutely. Yeah, no, me too. It's so much more fascinating than, like, all the same stories have been told forever and ever. And also, Tom Hanks should never have played Geppetto in <laughs> Pinocchio. I'm just going to throw that out here. Like, you couldn't find one Italian to do it. So let's talk about Frida on that same note. Ashley Judd played uh, her best friend who was Mexican, and her accent was terrible. Ooh. It was even, it was a bad like American Mexican accent that was supposed to be Mexican alone. It was terrible. I may have but, blocked you know, that out. Yeah. It's like how many there's gotta be at least a Latina. She could she doesn't even have to be Mexican. Right, right, right. Yeah. Somebody. Somebody can hold the language together, which we know it's not me. <laughs> yeah. I've only said Day of the Dead all the, this entire time. I'm in, I'm in, avoiding it. So um, tell us how you ended up in museums then. How, how, what did that journey look like? What, what got you there? Yeah, you know, I, um, I didn't expect to, to ever work in a museum. I've always loved museums. I feel like they are just these fascinating places for public history where, like, memory kind of gets worked out. Um, and like I said, I was, I was going to be a teacher. Um, so I was definitely going along that route um, but at a, I, there was like a turning point. Um, and actually it was my, my grandma passed away, um, kind of bringing us full circle to Dia de los Muertos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, um, when she passed away, I was working at Columbia University Law School. I was an associate research scholar there at the Center for Institutional and Social Change. It was a great, great gig. But, um, when my grandma passed away, I thought, you know, is this really where I belong? And um, I realized it really wasn't my intellectual home. I mean, I'm not trained as a lawyer. And, uh, you know, I felt kind of reminded of that regularly uh, with, <laughs> with working with a bunch of lawyers. Um, and uh, anyway, so I, I put myself on the job market and I was um, working for a tenure track position, which those are so hard to find. Um, and this job as a curator at the Smithsonian came up and I, I was like, oh, I definitely don't qualify for that. I've never curated anything before. I, you know, I don't know what they're looking for. Um, but, you know, someone convinced me just to put my hat in the ring. So I put my hat in the ring for that. And I was a finalist for... I see a pattern here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just try it out. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I put my hat in the ring for that and also was a finalist for a couple of tenure track positions and... You know, so I had this fork of the road and I was like, I'm going to take a chance and, you know, do something just unexpected and ended up uh, taking this position. And, you know, I've been here now, I'm going on 10 years and it's been a great run. I think it's been a, a good fit, like, you know, unexpectedly good. Good. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Uh, th then, you know, your abuela was there. 
pushing you along? I think she was. I think she was there the entire time, um, clearing the way for me in a way. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Can we talk about being a curator for one second? So I find being a curator to be the most fascinating thing because I go to museums all the time. And like when curators switch, especially for different positions, for me, I'm always like, you know, American history, where I'll go home to New York and like just go see things at like the Guggenheim and whatever. And it's your personal touch. I think a curator's touch that makes the shows so different. And sometimes light comes to, for me, different paintings or positioning or how you walk into it. And it's like, it's kind of like really wonderful. It's like to see it from a different way. Like, you know, just to like, you know, be able to go in and just like all of a sudden, like you said, oh, I threw my hat in the, you know, arena and see what happens. It's your voice as a curator and what you find fascinating, what's important to the story to, for people like me to go in and be like, oh, did something change? Because I've been coming to this exhibit for, I don't know, a decade, and it's completely different now. And I, and I love that. And I think museums, you know, people are like, oh, it's the same thing in a museum all the time, but it's not because the curator changes in the show or positioning or things will change. Like, are they going to change with the Mona Lisa's hanging? Probably not, <laughs> right? They're never going to move the Mona Lisa. But there are beautiful museums like the Tate Modern and the Smithsonian and all the Smithsonians where they, like, move things around, even American... Um, the um, any museum, so cool. They just put a new exhibit of the same things up and my, went with my kids. And I've seen that exhibit, I don't know, a bunch of times, but the way that they did it this time was like so cool. So I think your job is super important. And I think that, you know, you have to always remember that new eyes are coming to see these exhibits and like more people need to be involved in like showing people how to learn again or like how to like immerse themselves in culture or, you know, you know, heritage or Day of the Dead or whatever. Right. So I, I think your job's really cool is what I'm trying to say. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, I think your job's pretty cool. <laughs> I think the interesting thing, too, is um, it, we've had quite a few curators from the Smithsonian come on. And we, yeah. it, what I think it's really interesting and important is to see the diversity in the curators, in their faces and the color of their skin and the la their last names and their gender. Changing those things to Gina's point is it changes the point of view. Um, and I think it's so incredibly important because you have a, a more, uh, not saying that somebody else can't fully appreciate another culture, but to live it and breathe it is a different space, is a different right. difference. Well, I mean, you know, every object can tell multiple stories. I think that's um, really exciting. And when you get in, you know, different people with different perspectives, exactly what you're saying, that then they can find those other stories that are more meaningful to different communities. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that we do at the American History Museum is, you know, reinterpret, not reinterpret, but we're, we're, we're thinking again about how to interpret and how to, um, you know, present different objects to the world. Um, and you, you know, we do that a little bit differently than art museums because there's a lot more kind of, you know, curatorial statements to a certain degree and, and kind of contextualizing that has to go into, you know, presenting objects of significance that are part of history rather than, you know, 
art that can sometimes transcend sure. it. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, you're exactly right that actually, you know, most museums have operated on the expertise and interests of the curators. And so when you get in diverse curators and curators who are, you know, for me, I'm, I'm you know, uh, concerned and interested in presenting um, topics that are related to Latino history and culture. And so I'm going to look at that same object that someone else looked at, but from that perspective, right? And I'm going to talk about it as a woman and I'm going to talk about it as, you know, something that might be meaningful to my community, right? Sure. So, so you're exactly right. I think, you know, some of it is very subjective, but, you know, it's always grounded in the scholarship, right? Right. So, yeah, yeah um, I, I think uh, you guys kind of hit it on the head there. <laughs> and you've, you've talked to enough, uh, enough of us that you know. <laughs> kind so of let me ask you this. If, if there's a team of curators, right? Do you ever just like duke it out? Like, no, I'm right. <laughs> no, this should be there. <laughs> Do you have, like, big pillow, like, bats at the Smithsonian <laughs> that we don't know about where you just, like, you know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. They hold up an object like this, and they're like, this is a cup for little children. They're like, no, that is not the cup for little children. It's a chalice for a small priest. Like, is that what happens? What happens? Yeah, well, right now I'm working on um, a very exciting exhibition that's going to open in 2025. It's on um, Latinx youth movements. And we have awesome. a large uh, group of curators that are working on it. And everybody kind of comes with their own expertise. Um, and that that's really important because we need to tell a national story. We need to tell a broad story. And I can't be an expert on everything. And, yeah. you know, so we all acknowledge each other's expertise. But there have been times where we're like, no, this is the most important story. No, this is the most important <laughs> story. <laughs> and, you know, you only get if you like maybe, maybe if you're lucky, 100 words to tell that story in. So yeah. it's like, what point are we trying to make? And yeah. <laughs> you're editing each other. Check, check, check. <laughs> We do it with kindness, though. Yeah. <laughs> gentle, gentle scratches. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Gina. Speaking of scratches, oh. how about we do a tips and tricks yes. that comes from scratch? Look at that. Yes. Look at that. So, All right. <laughs> I, li I like that. So we're going to do a really fun trick today. We're going to make marshmallow syrup. Who makes marshmallow syrup? We're going to do that. So I found these uh, interesting little marshmallows that my kids, of course, had to have. And, like, you know, I always think about this holiday as, you know, to be fun and like to be inclusive it's more about family you know so like this is being inclusive of my children for me to have a cocktail which I mean that they inspired <laughs> they inspired because they make mommy nuts um okay so what this is is uh pumpkin marshmallows and you can find them at like you know if you're here in the dc or northeast area of the u.s you can find it in like Wegmans if not you know there's this little thing called amazon Google pumpkin marshmallows, they'll be at your doorstep the next day. So you're gonna take a half a cup of water, half a cup of pumpkin marshmallows, a quarter cup of regular sugar, and a pinch of um, spice. And I, I always think that like you should make it your own, what kind of like spice you like. For me, I love uh, garam masala, so I'm gonna put a little bit of that in there. Um, you're gonna put it in a pot over a medium heat, and you're gonna keep stirring it uh, until the marshmallows start to dissolve and you have like seconds, because once they start to dissolve, much like when you have them on an open fire, they pop up. So as soon as they pop up, you turn off the heat, finish stirring it, and let it sit. And what's left is just this really pretty pumpkin spice um, syrup, and it's really good to use in cocktails. And that's what we're gonna do next. So uh, Gina, you know, when you said pumpkin uh, marshmallows first, not having children. I was like, what the hell? Um, took me a minute to find them. I found them. Um, and then I was like, this sounds 
gross. I mean, it's, I, I always believe in you. Absolutely. Candy corn. But I, disgusting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like, ew, marshmallows. This syrup is delicious. And you could do it like, I mean, you would definitely could use this for something that you would like uh, sugar up your kids to. You could make it a non-alcoholic cocktail as well, right? Or mocktail. or 100%. Drink. You can use this in, that, that's why you can use this with a little bit of soda water for the kid. You know, you put soda water and you make like a pumpkin soda. You can add this to um, orange juice, shake it up for like a, you know, non-alcoholic brunchy drink. You know, that kind of thing. Sure. What do you think about your coffee? Hold on. We could experiment with that right now, and maybe this will be on the menu at Buffalo and Bergen. I don't know. It works in coffee. There we go. Oh, Woo! God, it's really good. <laughs> it's better than candy, con- candy corn coffee. Say that three times fast. <laughs> you can't be from New York and go candy corn coffee. You know, it's only like a maniac. <laughs> oh. All right. Oh, my God. That's so funny. So, um... Again, before we close episode one, and if, if somebody doesn't get anything at all that we shared, what's the one thing they need to know? Candy corn's disgusting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to go to designateddrinker.show for tips, tricks, and how-tos. And again, that is designateddrinker.show for links also on um, how to get to Margie and all the cool things and curations at American History. Absolutely. Okay. And then... The one thing you want them to know, Margie, everyone has one thing. You get your one thing now. What is the one thing we need all our listeners to know? Day of the Dead is not Halloween, people. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this brings us to the end of part one with Mags. <laughs> She's the curator from the Division of Home and Community Life at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. Do you need any more syllables in that? Uh, <laughs> but... If you are anything like me or Gina, you know one round is never enough. So top off your drink and get ready for part two of this episode as we continue our boozy banter and Gina shares her delicious Dias de los Muertes inspired cocktail recipe. (laughs) (laughs) Salud! The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company that is dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers Bobby and Mike Carducci. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows. Your review helps our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.